Welcome to Real Living. This is Lavinia Spirito with Marilyn Emacek. And we are going to wrap up a little bit today about the uh, study of the saints that we will be uh, encountering on our trip to Italy, our upcoming trip to Italy. We promise we will give you an update, uh, not an update, but we'll give you like a, you know, a follow-up on, um, on how the trip went when we get back. But that'll be in about three there's, weeks. There's always going to be surprises. It is, yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be good stuff. I'm kind of slowly but surely laboriously packing and then taking things out and packing and then taking things out and then adding things and then remembering things in the middle of the night. I don't know what kind of packer you are, but I'm constantly trying to remember, oh, I forgot this. I remember that, you know. Anyway, so we're going to, we're going to, we're covering um, three particular saints during this trip. We talked last time at length, I think, about St. Francis and his uh, fundamental importance, I think, of course, to the pilgrimage as we go to the city of Assisi. But we do not want to forget his good friend, Claire, or in Italian, that's Chiara, Chiara, Santa Chiara, St. Claire of Assisi. Um, and if you've seen any of the romanticized movies, you know, like when I was growing up in Italy, there was brother, sister, no, wait. They brother, weren't brother, son, sister. Brother, son, and sister, moon. Oh. And it was it was Zeffirelli again, Franco Zeffirelli. He was in his uh, Romeo and Juliet slash Jesus of Nazareth period, mm-hmm. and he did um, the story of Saint Francis, very romanticized, you know, a love story in a ballad and all that. But uh, Saint Clair was portrayed very very beautifully, I think, by a young actress. And but it was again, it was very romanticized, because the truth is that Saint Clair was substantially younger than Francis. And she was brought up, perhaps even more than him, in a life of luxury. Yes. You know, she lived, uh, she was, her family was wealthy. Um, they, she lived in a palazzo, in a palace. And, uh, but, and this, uh, you and I, our hearts, our mother's hearts should be warmed. The influence of her mother in the faith mm. really, really, really influenced Claire from a very early age. And she was uh, influenced by her mother's religious devotion from the get-go, which is our prayer for <laughs> all our kids, right? You know, that somehow they will be influenced by our religious devotion. And she was taught to read and write, which was a very unusual for women at the time, as well as to do the usual stuff, spin yarn, do needlework, etc. She dedicated her life uh, to God at a very early age and... She showed early that her calling would involve the poor. So she set aside food from her family table to give needy on the streets. We're going to be seeing another fra- saint on this trip called Francesca Romana, Francis of Rome, who did the same thing. As the married daughter of the, to the, to the son of the house, she would give away, you know, the, the table sta- the, the, the candlesticks, the tablecloths, the, the food from the table, the budget, all that. And uh, I'm reminded also of another saint to be, blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati, also Italian from a completely different time period. He died in the 1920s, who would come home regularly without his coat because he would just give it away. Give it away, yeah. To somebody that he had seen on the streets, etc. So there's that impetus to take care of the anawim, as it says in the Hebrew, which is the least of the least, the lowly. The the Psalms translate anawim as lowly. In Greek, it's tapenos, which is this idea that those who have nothing deserve what we have, you know, and we just need to make that connection, you know. When she was 18, 
uh, Francis of Assisi, who was already well on his ministry, came to preach in the church of San Giorgio in Assisi. And um, she decided she was going to de devote her life to God. Now, you know, I don't know how many people really understand uh, that the idea of a personal relationship with Jesus at that point in the life of the church wasn't something that was talked about. It was still more of a corporate thing, like you were going to be good members of the church, of our family, of our clan, or whatever, right? And um, that idea of knowing Jesus personally, that whole thing that Francis brought to the fore, wasn't really a thing, you know, for most people. And so for her, she was just thunderstruck by this possibility, right? Um, we do know that she also had to sort of run away from her parents who wanted her to marry uh, a young man that they had selected. But she instead decided to go to the Porziuncola, which was the little chapel, which we will see, where Francis received her. And she took her vows, dedicating her life to God on March 20th, 12, 12. And that is really, in a certain sense, the beginning of the Second Order of St. Francis, which is the Clares, the poor Clares, right? Um, I love how Agnes's sister, I mean, the Clare's sister, Agnes, joined her. And Agnes, too, is a saint. I think she's known mm -hmm. as Agnes of Bohemia. Right. Right. And they moved to the Church of San Damiano, recently rebuilt. Remember that whole thing? Francis rebuilt my church. Well, he started with the brick and mortars of San Damiano, before understanding that the Lord really wanted him to uh, restore his, his church in general. Um, it wasn't long, really, before other women joined them. You know, when you get a couple of individuals or one person who is in love with the Lord, who uh, is contagious in that certain sense, you're going to get people, right? And so she got some of her school friends, some of her relatives, her sisters. I think her mother actually joined after her father died, and they were known as the, the poor ladies, or also known as the poor Claire's. You know, one of the outward signs that you see frequently with, with Claire and with Agnes is when they made this commitment and they changed from their, their wonderful warm clothing to what they were going to wear from now on, their hair was always cut. Mm -hmm. And that's an outward sign. Mm -hmm. But it also made them you know, not marriable. I mean, that was one of the things that, you know, if you cut your hair, a husband isn't going to want you. And St. Catherine of Siena did the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's an outward sign. It's like I'm cutting myself away from that life mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I'm beginning this life. And it was probably you know, far more scandalous than, than we would think today. But it always reminds me of the nuns because when the nuns were the habits, they always, you know, when the rituals was cutting off their hair as a sign of beauty. And you weren't, you know, you were going to give yourself to the Lord. You didn't need to be beautiful in the outside world. You need to be beautiful in the interior. So I think it's, it's, you know, I don't think we appreciate some of the lengths that these people went to to say, I've changed and this is who I am now. And it, I'm sure for their families, it was a crushing thing to see. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. To have their prized daughter uh, basically running around in the equivalent of a burlap bag, of a garbage bag. Right. You know, as if she took on the same idea. And it, really, when you look at the poor Claire's today, uh, like Mother Angelica's Order, all that stuff, you'll mm -hmm. see that their habit has not really changed that much from the 1200s, which is right. interesting. Right. Right. Um, she became abbess of San Damiano, the Church of San Damiano, in 1216. 
and uh, it was very much ora ed labora, so pray and pray work. And Mm -hmm. uh, but she spent a lot of time working on the rule and making it not just another Benedictine rule, but making it a clearly Franciscan rule. And it wasn't until really two years before she died that the Pope granted her to have this specific rule, not the generic Benedictine rule that was being used for a lot of other people. There are two episodes in her life, which always come to the fore, and I'm sure we're going to hear about them when we get there, right? Um, All right. There was invasions during her life. Frederick II, Barbarossa, the emperor, invaded, and uh, she held the host up, the, ho the consecrated host up into the window, uh, causing them to fall back. And in a second instance, Assisi was under attack. Remember, different times, right? Um, Assisi was always at war with everybody, like most of the city-states, city city-towns in Europe and in, in Italy, you had that situation of, you know, why join with somebody when you can fight them? So <laughs> yeah. there, was, there was another instance in which they prayed for the safety of the town, and a storm came in and scattered the invaders. Uh, Claire uh, cared for St. Francis at the end of his life. Mm -hmm. uh, he died in 1226, and she didn't really die until the 1253. And uh, Pope Alexander IV canonized her, um, two years later, which is what happened to St. Francis as well, right? So when you're canonized within, within two years, you know, you know that there's good stuff, right? Absolutely. That there's, there's no a, wait for her. A clear cause, right? Yeah. St. Catherine of Siena is the other saint that we're going to be seeing, hopefully in detail, as we travel to Siena from mm -hmm. Assisi for the day. And I, I made sure that we would spend the day there, that we would have some time in her house, when you go to Siena, you get to see her house, you get to see her kitchen, you get to see her bedroom, her bed, her nightstand. It's like going to Padre Pio's place, right? Right. Except almost a thousand years uh, difference in time, right? Tell me what, this is only, this is over a hundred years after Francis and Claire, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me why you, what appeals to you about Catherine of Siena? I've always been a fan of hers. In fact, it was her name that I took for my confirmation name. So I, I do have a special devotion to her. And I think what appealed to me is, is really her life story. She was, she was, in my eyes, she's a very independent woman. And she, she truly was united with the Lord in so many ways and followed him in her short life and, and going to Avignon and, and being a part of bringing the Pope back to Rome to me was huge because women didn't get involved in things like that. We have to remember that sh she couldn't read or write. I mean, it, it wasn't as though she was an educated woman. So clearly what she accomplished, she was clearly following what the Lord was asking her to do without any doubt and carrying it out. And she's, she's very well known for, for um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and, you know, being able to to be with people and to actually in people that are oppressed and needed exorcisms and great conversions, bringing people back from the dead. I mean, she did it all. I mean, there, there just isn't anything that I don't think the Lord used her for. And at the end of her life, she lived merely on the Eucharist. And that is the food for life. So, you mm -hmm. know, that should be our goal. And she would, you know... She had this great union with the Lord, and it was it was a 
burning love. It was on fire. And that's the way I think about her. I just, I, I'm just such a great fan of hers. And if I could just become just slightly like her, you know, I think I would be on the right track. I think you're going to see, um, you're going to really enjoy being in her house then. Yes, I was, I was there one time, couldn't find the house. I was in that town for a very short period of time, and everything was closing up. So I am so looking forward to this. I can't even begin to tell you. Yeah, that happened to me as well. I, the last time I was there, I really had to look for it. I couldn't find it. There were no signs. It was like a little tiny, tiny microscopic mm -hmm. sign right before you turn into her house. But thankfully, I was able to visit. I brought my, my girls as well. Anyway, so Catherine of Siena, what I thought was interesting was she was born during an outbreak of the plague, 1347. Mm -hmm. 1348 really is the year that the plague decimated Europe, right? Only a, about a third of all Europeans died mm -hmm. during this outbreak of the plague that worked its way up from Messina, from the port in Sicily, from ships that had uh, been, been arrived from the east with rats infected with fleas with the bubonic plague. She was the 25th child born to her mother. Can you imagine? No, 24th. Well, the t she was the 24th, and her twin was the 25th. Oh, okay. Uh, born of Lapo, Lapa and Jacopo Benincasa. Uh, Lapa is a classic Tuscan name. I know mm. actually two people named Lapo, the, the, mm. the, the, the male thing. And uh, Benincasa means um, goods in your house. Goods that stay in your house, so material wealth in your house. Um, her mother was 40 when she was born, and her father was a cloth dyer, which must have been a pretty prosperous thing to do, right? Because right. he was able to support her, his daughter in the house uh, most, of, most of her life, if not all of her life, right? Um, she had at six her first vision of Jesus, which I thought was interesting, dressed mm -hmm. as the Pope. Mm -hmm. Crazy I mean, king. First yeah. of all, how would she know? Mm -hmm. what the Pope looked, you know, how he he dressed, but I think somebody may have told her, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it, it showed her that her mission was going to be to serve Jesus, her bridegroom, through the church. Now, and, and she made a promise of virginity at age seven. I mean, think about that. That's what, the age of reason then? Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And it was at 15 when she cut off her hair. I just want to add that because that was scandalous to her family. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, how about this calculus? She had to have these visions. She wanted to serve Jesus. At age 16, her sister, who was married to someone else, to, uh, to somebody else, died. And so the parents said, oh, come on, Catherine. This will be just like a, side, a sideways deal, you know? Why don't we just slide you into your sister's role? Sisters, mm-hmm. Right? And right. Um, so that way you can take care of the kids, et cetera. But she obviously, you know objected and it was around that time that she cut her hair um now you know imagine the parents you know i always try to think about about the parents you know i mean your child is going off the reservation what the heck is going on then as in now when you say you have visions people aren't exactly going to believe you especially your family right right it's not like oh yes okay you're saint catherine of Siena. no it's like, Catherine, you are out of your mind. Mind. What, what mm -hmm. the heck is going on? But they they resisted, of course, you know, all her all her stuff. But she actually managed to live in her parents' house. She closed herself in a room. And the fact that she had her own room speaks to the wealth, I think. 
Yes. Uh, I don't think, I mean, it shows her, her room right off the kitchen. So I'm not sure it was that much of a cloister deal. You'll see how close it is to the kitchen. It's right off the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, in that it was during this time that she consolidated her relationship with the Lord. But at a certain point, she felt the Lord saying to her, it's time to exit. It's time to go into the world. Um and be a part of the world and serve your community. It, she, although she was affiliated with the Third Order of St. Dominic, the Third Order is the lay associates of a particular order, right? And so she dressed in the habit, kind of in a habit of a Dominican sister, because remember that order had been founded over 100 years before by St. Dominic. And um, she was known as a mantellata. Mantellata. Un mantello is a cloak. So those who were uh, cloaked, and it, it seems like the her fellow Dominican sisters actually taught her to write and read a little bit. Hmm. She lived quietly, isolated within her family home, and so you know she was still. I mean, you know, they taught her how to read and write. You know, I don't think they were reading the Divine Comedy or anything like that. I think that they were probably just doing some basic sums and all that stuff. You know, but even though she was pretty much still illiterate, she actually managed to dictate three or four letters or works at once in ecstasy, which means what? You need three or four secretaries, scribes, you're in the room, and you're in ecstasy. Can you imagine? You know, Can't imagine. Appa- apparently, she would dictate stuff and leave off and then dictate something else and then dictate something else and then go back to the original train Where of thought without miss. I can't do that. I have to reread. I have to re-listen. I have to know, you know where I was, right? But the the great thing is that, you know, many of those letters have survived. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And her main work, of course, is the dialogue, Dialogue. which Mm -hmm. we're going to talk a lot about, um, which is a masterpiece of uh, Christian spirituality. So she had a mystical marriage with Jesus at the age of 21, and she took Blessed Raymond of Capua as her confessor and spiritual director. From 1375 onwards, Catherine began dictating letters to scribes, and it was then she had this intervention with the Pope, went to Avignon, and actually managed to get him to come back to Rome and also see him through the Great Western Schism in, um, in you know, 1380. She was. Now, I read someplace that she approached the, the Pope, and she was given some words of, of knowledge. And when she approached him, she reminded him of something he must have said or did or something that no one else knew. Mm-hmm. A dream. And that's how he was convinced that, yes, mm-hmm. she, he was supposed to follow what she was advising him to do. Mm-hmm. Her works are so influential that Catherine of Siena is later declared a doctor of the church. And she's one of the most influential and popular saints, really. You know, I know that she's one of my particular favorites. In, uh, in 1380, she died uh, at only age 33 of um, probably a whole constellation of stuff she didn't eat. Um, Who knows, right? I mean, you know, in our own health and wellness society, it's kind of weird to hear that kind of thing, you know, that you you fast so much you make yourself ill. Um, But, you know, she followed the Holy Spirit, and that's the way it was. She was um, canonized very, very shortly after. Um, Just let's conclude our show with a couple of... uh, Greatest Hits by St. Catherine. The Father to Catherine in the Dialogue. Who are you, Lord? Well, you are she who is not. I am he who am. 
That is not amazing. Mm-hmm. She talks about the the three stages of Christian life: the feet of Christ, the beginner. It's like a mercenary stage. It's like in Saint Teresa of Avila speaks very similar. It's where you follow Jesus because you're scared, because you're afraid, right? Right. Uh, because you're afraid of the consequences, you're afraid of going to hell, etc. The second part, the second stage of the relationship with Jesus is an open heart. It's an intermediate stage. And it's basically you love the Lord mostly because you have consolations. You can hear him. Prayer is comfortable. Right? Right. Um, and your soul expands with the love that you have for the Lord. So Exactly. Yeah. It's friendship with Jesus. But finally, mm-hmm. the final stage is the mouth of Christ. Union, which is filial mm-hmm. love based not on consolation. So, you know, what's in the background? Uh, in a couple of centuries from her, Teresa of Avila, John on the Cross, and all those guys are going to talk about the dark night of the soul and the dark night of the spirit, where mm-hmm. you have no consolations and you still love God. And that's like a time of purification, etc. So it's filial love based not on consolation, but love for the sake of love. Accept any suffering out of love for God, total abandonment to God, and real union flows into service of God, which is what kind of we've been saying at least i've been saying all my life which is what you grow in holiness and the more you grow in holiness the more you go out in mission the two things have to be intertwined and we see that in the life of of saint catherine of siena right great saint and we'll close the show with one of my favorite sayings from her if you are who you are meant to be you will set the word on fire on fire yep thank you for joining us